Infertility affects about 6.1 million women in the United States alone, according to the CDC. And since April is Infertility and Infant Loss Awareness Month, I asked one of my very best friends, Kendall Madsen, who knows the struggle of infertility better than almost anyone else I know, to share her story of getting her two babies here after hundreds of shots and tests and three full rounds of IVF. Kendall was gracious enough to share her entire journey of ups and downs with me about getting pregnant, losing pregnancies, what they tried, how it felt, and most importantly, what helped her most from friends and loved ones who supported her through these trials. I'm confident that Kendall's story will provide a lot of hope for other couples hoping to get pregnant and more understanding and compassion for those who have loved ones who struggle with infertility or infant loss and how we can best support them. As always, if you find this episode helpful, I would love it if you would share it on social media and tag me at Mint Arrow so that I can see and reshare your shares. And it's just super helpful to us as well if you leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. I wanted to read a recent review that we got from Brittany Love 19, and she entitled it Light in the Darkness. She says, I love podcasts and listen to a wide variety. I adore the openness of Corinne and Neil on Mint Arrow messages. Keep bringing Neil back with you. Those are my personal favorite. I appreciate you both sharing your trials and your faith. I always feel uplifted when I listen to your podcast. Thank you so much, Brittany, and thanks you guys for listening this week. So today I have the special treat of having one of my very best friends in the whole world on this podcast with me. Her name is Kendall Bell Matson. <laughs> Your new last name is Matson. I always forget, you know, it's hard for me to remember my longtime friends' new names. But anyway, Kendall has been a friend of mine since 2005, since the very short-lived pageant career that I had. And um, she was Miss Utah. She's had all kinds of really amazing um, things in her life. And I'm going to let her introduce herself now. So Kendall, tell us about you. Okay. I'm a stay-at-home mom with two babies. I have a three-year-old little boy and an eight-month-old daughter. And I love to shop online. Corinne feeds my addiction. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I love interior design, decorating, redecorating my home. And spending time traveling with my husband and watching Netflix. Love it. Pretty much me. (laughs) Yeah, she is my soul sister. And I was so funny. We got their Christmas card in the mail. And my kids were like, Mom, who's this guy you're with? And I was like, that's not me. That's Kendall. (laughs) So funny. So so good. Anyway, my soul sister in so many ways. But um, Kendall has been gracious enough to agree to come on the podcast and talk about a topic that she knows very, very well, and that's infertility and infant loss, because April is the month of infertility awareness month. Correct. Yep. So we're going to just dive right into that, and um, we'll start with your story of you and Brandon. So five years ago, you guys got married, and I still remember that day. There were um, some really sweet, like, blessings that you guys got from other people just talking about how you would be able to have children, which was kind of in question, right? When you guys got married and tell us why. My husband was diagnosed with testicular cancer a few years before I met him, um, like five years before I met him. And that's always kind of a risk um, when it comes to having children, if that's going to affect your ability to conceive or not. So it's kind of always on the forefront of our minds that we have some issues we should probably get help sooner than later. Right. And so that was something you were kind of prepared to deal with even before you guys got married, if, if that was a possible, and did he do like chemo or radiation? I don't remember. He didn't have to actually. So we didn't have to, we weren't dealing with that. We're just dealing with other things related to testicular cancer. And we just knew it possibly could have an effect on our ability to have kids. Okay. So yeah. how much, um, how far into your marriage did you guys decide, okay, let's start trying? We started trying four months after we got married. We just kind of knew time wasn't on our side. We needed to get started sooner than later. And we tried for a couple months and my gynecologist suggested to me that if you don't conceive within the first three months of trying, come and see me. Okay. So 
the reason to come and see her is it was suspected that I had endometriosis just from my health history. It was reasonable to believe that I had endometriosis. And that doesn't help. That's like another tick in the box of things working against you. Right. So I had actually scheduled an appointment for exploratory surgery to to see if I had endometriosis and what stage it was at, and then to have it removed if I did have it. And that was about three, four months after we started trying. And we found out that at that pre-op appointment that I was pregnant, take the next steps and start getting aggressive about having children. And surprise, pregnant, it was so wonderful. Greatest, one of the greatest moments of my whole life. So kind of thought, wow, this isn't going to be nearly as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah. But just kidding. Um, Unfortunately, I miscarried at 10 weeks and it was just after a 10 week ultrasound where I had seen baby moving, kicking, perfect heart rate, all things looked pretty good. And then a couple of days later, I started spotting and lost the baby. It was just tough. It's a horrible thing to go go through. Um, it's amazing how much love you can develop for a child in just a couple months, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So was that something, when you guys went through that, were you kind of, what was your reaction after that? Like, were you just, did you want to keep trying right away or yes, where were you at? I am... I'm a pretty tough person and I feel like I've kind of, when I fall down, I get right back up again. And that's just kind of been in my nature. It's kind of just, it's just sort of who I am. I fall down, I get back up again, try again, try again, learn from your mistakes, learn from the experience, move forward. It was heartbreaking and it was 100% something that came out of left field. I thought getting pregnant would be the problem, not staying pregnant. I don't really think once we got pregnant, there would be any issues. There really wasn't that history in either side of my family really wasn't common to me. So it was hard, but my instinct was let's keep trying. You know, I don't want to waste any time. I want to be pregnant again. Let's just like move forward and pretend kind of like this never happened. Just get back on the horse and get the show on the road. But it was not as e- it was just not as easy the second time around. Um, yeah, for some reason, you're most fertile within three months of having a miscarriage. So my mm-hmm. doctor encouraged us to try for three months and kind of see what happened. Well, three months passed by, and wa- walk into his office just devastated and say, "What can we do now?" And he started me on Clomid, which is pretty standard protocol for a first step with infertility and mm-hmm. kind of a crazy medication makes you feel pretty awful, but yeah, it's I've okay. It's <laughs> I think it's just like the hormone and the mood swings. It's, it's intense, but it's really good to help predict your cycle and time your ovulation it's supposed to like make you ovulate and kind of have like an expected time frame of when that would be possible to just make everything a little more efficient And so we tried Clomid for three months. And then I went in on my fourth month on Clomid for an ultrasound because I'd been experiencing some discomfort and they did ultrasound and way too many follicles. So I kind of had an adverse reaction to the Clomid Hmm. and developed too many follicles. And if you don't know what that means, it means most women each cycle develop one mature follicle that egg releases and then you start your period if it's not fertilized. Well, this time I had like six or seven follicles. And if you know who John and Kate plus eight is, they still went ahead and tried to have a baby during a cycle like this and ended up with six babies. (laughs) That's not safe, nor something that I was really wanting to gamble with. So our our doctor suggested to abstain that month, not try, and then maybe proceed with an IUI the following month, which is kind of like step two in an infertility process. And I felt really excited about it. I'm totally the type of person that's like, let me try everything to get this right. You know, I just was like, whatever we can do to be more successful, to have a kid, let's do it. So I was jazzed 
Um, IUI, if you're not familiar with the terminology, it's also known as artificial insemination. IUI stands for intrauterine insemination. Basically, mm-hmm. just helps make the process a little bit more accurate. If, if that right, makes and it's sense. pretty low key, right? Yeah. Like outpatient, yeah. low key, not yeah. surgical. Um, the less expensive of the fertility treatment options. Um, pretty common. It's not really as devastating. It's just pretty simple and straightforward, actually. Um, yeah. And happily enough, that IUI was successful. And I was able to keep the pregnancy. They started me on low-dose progesterone right when I found out I was pregnant. And it brought us our Maddox, our little three-year-old boy. So I was like, great. We found our solution. We like know our process. Next time we want to have a baby, let's just like skip the steps and go to this and we'll be, right. we'll be good to go. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> so how old was Maddox? By the way, he is the cutest. How old was Maddox when you guys decided you were ready to try for number two? My husband said to me the day after we had him in the hospital, let's have another one as soon as possible. So he (laughs) he was ready like day day two of his life. Me, not so much. We were going on a European vacation about a month and a half before our son turned one. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just said to myself, when we get home from this trip, I think I'm comfortable trying. That was like the soonest window that I felt comfortable getting pregnant again was about a year after our son was born. Okay. And we got pregnant that month. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, wow, funny how life works. I just didn't ever expect my kids to be like 18, 19 months apart and was shocked that it happened so quickly. And we both didn't believe it. And... I had my HCG levels tested right when I found out I was pregnant. They were rising appropriately and all seemed well. I got on progesterone and started spotting around month or week seven mm-hmm. and um, went in for an ultrasound a couple of days later and I had lost the baby. So, or the pregnancy, it stunk. It was yeah. so sad just because what we thought was like something so easy and simple and we'd kind of worked through the hard stuff. My body knew what it was doing. It knew how to be pregnant and knew how to have a baby. And I kind of felt like my body betrayed me again. And it, it was a tough pill to swallow. And at that point, I think more than ever, I was like, I think we have a problem. And that was the hardest yeah. part. So at that point, you guys were like seeing a fertility clinic or still just going to your OB? We were still just going to my OB, mm-hmm. but I kind of had this like confirmation when I would pray about having an, another kid and pray about getting pregnant again. And especially after I miscarried for the second time, I was just kind of asking like, what else do I need to do? How can I make this happen? Like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to have a baby and just having the very distinct feeling that we needed to get help. We needed to have a professional and a fertility specialist helping us figure this out because I just kind of felt like one miscarriage felt normal, two did not. Yeah. And that's exactly what our fertility specialist said when we met with her like about a month later was he. Okay. Two is not really that common. Two miscarriages. I mean, I think it's common because people are dealing with infertility all over the world. Yeah. Unfortunately, but but it's really not common when it comes to having children and conceiving. So, okay. So what was her next step once you guys met with her? Uh, she said, you're m- most fertile three months after you have a miscarriage. And I mm-hmm. think it's just because there's extra hormones running through your body. Your body was just pregnant, knows what to do. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the actual reasons why, but she gave us the same song and dance three months. And then she said, come back and maybe we'll try an IUI or two. But she felt like our issue was not getting pregnant. We'd been pregnant three times. Mm -hmm. 
and our issues were probably bigger than just conceiving. But our issues right. maybe had more to do with like egg quality, sperm quality, um, different genetic factors in our embryos, that type of a thing. So she said, try for three months and then call me. Well, I had had it by about month two. So month three, I was like, I don't really care. We're doing an IUI. I just want to give us our best shot at trying naturally. Let's do another IUI. Right. And she was like, all right, like if that's what you want to do, let's do it. Well, we got pregnant and it was awesome. Like, great. This is, this is the recipe. Yeah. And we tested my HCG levels and they were not good. So they're supposed to like double every seven, 24 to 72 hours. They're mm-hmm. supposed to follow this pattern and mine were not following that pattern. So we knew very on in that pregnancy between weeks five and six that that was not going to be a viable pregnancy and I miscarried again. And she's kind of like, okay, I guess this is what my body does. And I was kind of in denial that we had a big problem, but it was really after that miscarriage that I was like, we've got a problem. We've got to figure out another approach because this isn't really working. Right. So, I mean, were you feeling discouraged or feeling like, okay, I want to just get to the bottom of this? I think part of me needed to have that happen for me to know that IVF was the next step because that's Mm -hmm. kind of what she was encouraging. And it's a very expensive and emotionally and physically taxing next step. And I think I needed something to happen that like made me firmly believe that that's the next step. It's a pretty terrifying step. And if you don't know for sure, it's hard to commit to that kind of a process. But on the other hand, I was completely terrified. I was devastated. It felt very unfair Mm -hmm. that people can sneeze and have a baby. And right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even when professionals are like monitoring my cycle and we're doing all these different procedures and taking all this medication to make my body do what a normal, typical body would do. Mine wasn't. So yeah. And at this point, have you guys completely ruled out any possibility that that was um, like a fallout from Brandon's cancer? Yes. Yes, okay. we have. That's a great question. When you do these IUIs, you also get a semen analysis back, and they kind of mm-hmm. let you know all the different categories, and they score it and give you percentages, and basically in every category. Brandon was like normal or, or like better than normal. So based off that, we knew it really wasn't an issue with him. It was more an issue with me. And we had done. So de- was that like emotional for you? How did that feel? Or yeah, were you kind I of mean, like scientific about it? I don't think I wanted to blame him, but I think I didn't want to blame myself. I didn't want yeah. to be like my fault. I mean, you can't look at it that way because it's really nobody's fault. This just happens. But I mean, I definitely put more pressure on me. I felt very guilty. I felt really bad that we had to like blow our savings to have another child. It was rough, but um, we did a bunch of diagnostic testing on me and I didn't really test in levels or ranges that made it seem like I was the issue either. Right. So technically we had unexplained infertility. Okay. Um, which is like the world's most frustrating thing to hear because you're like, well, explain it to me. Like, why is this so right. hard? You know, like, right. I'm paying you thousands of dollars. Like, please tell me why this is so hard, but it just doesn't work like that. We learn a lot each time we go through different procedures and each round of IVF we did, we learn a lot. We kind of gathered more information along the way, but the diagnostic testing didn't really point a finger at any particular issue. Okay. So then you guys kind of talked about IVF as the next step. And tell me what that looks like, what it feels like, what the prep is like. I know it's super brutal. So it's quite a process. I mean, you sit down with your infertility doctor, they kind of walk you through a customized plan that they feel is best for you and your situation and kind of your issues. It's not a one plan fits all. That diagnostic testing is really beneficial in in letting them develop a plan that's best for you with like medication, schedules, timing, a bunch of different things. So she kind of walked me through what my protocol would look like and the timing of everything and the different medications and what they do. And and then you meet with the nurse 
and they kind of explain to you the injection process. They give you a list of things you need to do. We had to like watch injection videos, watch, you know, different things on like what medications did what. We had to pass a test practically (laughs) to be able to do IVF. And then you meet with a financial advisor that's like, here's your cost. And if you need financial assistance, here are your options. So it's nice that they have a, a financial advisor to kind of help you through that part of it too, because some people can't just pay cash for these, you know, <laughs> these procedures. Just to give people like a ballpark, IUI is more like what an IVF is in the ballpark. Our IUIs ranged from like $1,200 to probably $1,900 based off different medications I did with each IUI. And then IVF for us, the first round was about $15,000, 15 to 20-ish. And that's kind of give or take different medications, different things you need to do during the IVF process. So if you do that a couple of times, it can really add up. Yeah. Well, I've heard of people having to spend 30 or 40 grand on one round yes. of IVF. And that's so. because they're probably requiring extra medications. There's different things along the process that can like aid in fertilization of your embryos, implantation in your uterus. There's just a lot. I think all in all, at the end of the day, we spent about 50 grand on IVF. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so then you get you go home with all this medication and how long are you prepping before you do the actual procedure? It's different for everyone, but this IVF cycle, I prepped for about, um, it's about six weeks total, the protocol. You do about four weeks to a month of birth control just to suppress your body's natural hormones, kind of get everything at a baseline so that they can then start to manipulate them. The first shots you take help you grow follicles and they help you quality eggs. So I took those for 12 days and you go in for ultrasounds to count your follicles, watch their growth because you can't harvest or do an egg retrieval until they're an appropriate size for maturity of your eggs. Right. And um, a few days before that possible retrieval date, they do a follow-up ultrasound, make sure everything's looking really great. And then you start taking these shots that prevent your body from ovulating on its own so that as many eggs as possible can reach maturity. And then 36 hours before your egg retrieval, you give yourself a trigger shot. And... They just time it perfectly so that when you go in for your egg retrieval surgery, your body is releasing the eggs and they go in and harvest them or retrieve them. Yeah. And they put you under for that. It's a pretty great nap because (laughs) you're just kind of over at this point. You're uncomfortable. Your body's swollen and you're just kind of like the only happy day. I think in the whole process is you get a little nap and then you wake up and you find out how many eggs they retrieved. Yeah. And I remember feeling kind of disappointed that we got 14, which is silly because I just set a number in my head that I hoped we would get, but we got 14. And then the process after that is a little interesting. They call you on day one, three, and five uh, after your retrieval to let you know how many eggs on day one, they let you know how many of your eggs fertilized. Yeah. In our IVF cycle, the first time that was my hardest day for sure. I think I expected a really great fertilization rate because I didn't suspect there would be any issues with maturity of my eggs or quality of them. Right. And I I had nine out of 14. So it just almost cut our number in in half. Right. I just remember thinking, okay, I thought we had 14 shots having our family, you know, a couple different embryos and now we're down to nine. Yeah. And then they call you back on day three and we had six, I believe. Like, okay. Like there's a typical drop-off. That's very normal. Like it shouldn't have been that alarming to me, but it just kind of crushed me every day. There was more drop-off. Right. And then by day five, we had four and he said, I'm going to biopsy 
for our genetic testing, which our, our fertility specialist suggested because it would help give us the best shot at a healthy embryo for transfer. And um, he said, I'm going to freeze and biopsy three of your embryos, and I'm going to let this fourth one go until tomorrow. Well, we got the call the next day that the fourth one had arrested. So out of the whole process, 14 eggs, we were down to three embryos that we needed to send for genetic testing. And typically 50% or more is kind of what you would expect to get back as a normal embryo with no chromosomal abnormalities. That's what we were testing for. 46 chromosomes, no fragments, perfect genetic makeup in our embryos. Yeah. So you found out that you basically had three left, right? Correct. Yep. They were being... And you were waiting on genetic testing. Yep. And we were in Switzerland for my husband's 40th birthday and got the call from our geneticist in New York. And he let us know that all of our embryos were abnormal, meaning they were missing components of their genetic makeup. And some of them, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, it could lead to this syndrome or it has like a 10% chance of this happening. But for all of mm-hmm. ours, it, they were all categorized as incompatible with pregnancy or life. Mm-hmm. So they didn't recommend that we transfer any of them. So it was just kind of like the most crushing experience of our whole life because I think more than ever, we realized we had major issues conceiving children, viable pregnancies yeah. that would lead to healthy children. and. That was hard because I knew that if we wanted to go through this process again, we had to start over at like square one. We didn't just have to try another transfer, which would be devastating, but we had to start completely over. Yeah, because there weren't any eggs left. Yep. Yeah, that is so devastating. So at this point, were you were you wanting to just jump right back in or did you want to take a break or how are you feeling? I think I was glad that we were on a vacation so I couldn't make any decisions right away. <laughs> I yeah. think I was glad that I was like distracted and could just kind of process for two weeks or so because I felt all of that. I was ready to just try again naturally and just see what would happen. I was ready to jump right into IVF and just do like, you know, go through like four rounds and bank like a dozen embryos or as many as we could get and then like never have to do IVF again I was ready to do run round and then transfer twins or something like I just think I had like every thought imaginable but ultimately we both decided that it was probably best that we just kept going because time more time in between rounds wasn't necessarily going to help our situation it was only going to prolong the end result of having a healthy baby And so we emailed our fertility doctor while we were on our trip and asked that we just get an appointment as soon as we were home and they had an opening. Yeah. So then what happened? It was pretty quick. We came home, we walked into our appointment and our fertility doctor was surprised by our results. She just kind of felt like I would sail through IVF and we wouldn't really run, mm. run into any hiccups. And so it just kind of led her to believe that even though it, within the diagnostic testing results, there wasn't any indications that I had poor egg quality, that that was reasonable to believe that I did after our IVF cycle. And so she tweaked our protocol to give me more medication, more um, of the stimulating hormones to try and produce better quality eggs and more eggs to give us mm-hmm. just a better chance at more embryos in the end. And um, they started me on birth control that day, four weeks or so of birth control, and then started my stimulation shots. And that appointment that you go to a couple of days before your egg retrieval, we were counting my follicles and I only had four rewind to my first cycle and I had about 17 follicles yeah so my body just did not respond like it did the first time which was so surprising because you know you kind of think same medication more of the same medication would give you the opposite result so we we made the decision to with our doctor to cancel the egg retrieval it just didn't seem necessary or smart to put my body through that when we were going to get maybe three or four eggs. 
And we ended up with three embryos the last cycle. So that was so hard and so disappointing. It just felt like, why did we go through all that just to cancel? Right. I I just felt like loss of time and money and my energy. And our doctor's amazing and suggested that we do an IUI and try and make the most of that month and utilize the follicles that we did get, you know, may the odds be ever in our favor that one of them is awesome and we get pregnant and have a baby. Mm -hmm. And I got pregnant. So we were thinking, well, wow, (laughs) maybe I just need to take all those drugs and have extra follicles and this will work. It was great. It was so exciting. Yeah. Well, um, my levels looked decent. They didn't look amazing. My HCG levels and I ended up miscarrying again and it just killed me. I really do think that that was one of those days where I was like, why is this happening? This feels so unnecessary. This feels so unnecessarily hard. I'd already. Yeah. I remember that one. It just broke me. I think because not only was I just dealing with infertility and previous miscarriages and just that longing for another baby, it just it just felt like salt in a really open wound at that point. Like I just didn't see the point of having to go through another miscarriage. I didn't see the point of having to have another failed cycle, IVF cycle. It just felt like a really unnecessary hardship in my opinion. I mean, I, right. I know it was necessary because it ultimately led us to keep trying and, and we had our daughter, but it was a rough time of life for us. For sure. But, yeah. So then what were your emotions like? Keep trying, stop. Part of me was like, break. just put it on our tab. Like, let's just go for it and just keep like pounding out these IVF cycles. Like <laughs> goodbye money. There's that meme or whatever. That's like throwing dollar <laughs> bills out the window. And yes. you're just like, okay, see you bye, money. And I just kind of was like, I don't even care at this point. Like, let's just go for it. Because I think I ultimately knew this was our best shot at having a baby. Yeah. Conceiving on our own isn't working. I had now conceived three times on our own and miscarried. So that wasn't working either. Yeah. So we met with our doctor and we were kind of like, is this even worth it? And she's like, absolutely. I think we need to switch protocols to a protocol that is catered to women who have poor egg quality. She's like, I just really didn't, Bill in my gut that that was your problem. But after some of these cycles, we're kind of learning that that's probably the issue that we're dealing with. And so we prayed about it. We talked about it, probably argued about it. Maybe I don't know. (laughs) I just think you kind of have to process all the emotions and your spouse processes things differently about IVF. They can be very, very logical. Totally. And at this point I had to lean into Brandon and kind of trust in his, his perspective and his feelings. Because at this point I felt like I was operating solely off hurt and pain and emotion and exhaustion that like, I couldn't really see through the fog. I couldn't really see through the the circumstance I was in, but he could, I felt like he had a better perspective kind of as an outsider looking in that if we could just push through and learn from the mistakes of our other cycles that we could figure this out. And I'm just really grateful that I trusted him. I'm really grateful that he was just as invested spiritually and emotionally as I was to be prayerfully um, seeking answers to what our next step should be, because he knew that our next step should be another IVF cycle. And I just really trusted him. I just trusted that he was receiving that revelation for the both of us because it wasn't that I was in a bad place spiritually. It just, I was just, I couldn't really like decipher what was the spirit or what was my own emotion. Well, and when you, when your body's going through all of those hormones and you're pumping new hormones in and all that, I can't even imagine because I'm a crazy person when I'm pregnant, period. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, or even just on my period. Right. I know. And <laughs> I know. I'm not saying I know you're crazy. I'm saying I know I'm crazy. Like, it is no, just, seriously. 
it's just a lot. And I had just been through back-to-back cycles and back-to-back miscarriages and medication. And I was in a tough place. And um, we talked about this before, that this is when I just kind of felt like I needed something to focus my attention on that had nothing to do with, with having a baby or like anything about my body. I needed a different goal. Yeah. And I was reading through some of my journals from when I was in a singles ward and I was like really upset that I hadn't gotten married yet, which is so funny because <laughs> I wasn't that old, but, um, right. our, but at the time that was super at the time that felt like my trial and seemed a little silly looking back, but, um, I had written in one of my journals, a quote from our Bishop that said, he said, and challenged us to read 30 minutes of the Book of Mormon for 30 days and we would see blessings and miracles. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I had had another friend who finished the Book of Mormon in 30 days. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I could use some blessings. I could use a miracle. I can think of nothing that would be a better use of my time than reading my scriptures and trying to, you know, get the peace that comes from consistent regular scripture study and finished the book of Mormon in in 30 days. And I spent a lot of time reading when my son was asleep or when my husband and my son were asleep at night and read and read and read. And it brought so much peace into my life. And one of the like more grounded times of my life, not that I'm not grounded, but I just felt like I could see more clearly. I could, I could kind of separate the devastation from, from what I needed to do to like process everything better and, and proceed with IVF a third time with a little bit of a better perspective and a clear mind and a clear head. And doesn't mean it wasn't devastating and hard. I just kind of felt like I was blessed because I spent that much time dedicated to reading the Book of Mormon. It's a really cool experience. I remember that being so inspiring to me as well. And it really is incredible that the Book of Mormon has so much power in it. And I have a testimony of that too. Um, And I remember that when we received the challenge to read the Book of Mormon in October, by the end of the year, our prophet challenged all the women in the church to do that. I remember thinking, my first reaction was, wow, that's like, that's really quick. And then I immediately thought of you and I thought, well, if Kendall can do it in 30 days, I can do it in three months. So I know. And part of me wanted to like say, well, then I don't need to do it. I just did it because I was like, (laughs) oh, come on. I just finished literally like three days before I had just finished the Book of Mormon in 30 days. And I was like, I don't need to do it. I'm good. I nailed it. And then I was like, (laughs) shoot, I need to do it again. And I'm glad that I'm glad that I committed to doing it again before the end of the year, because I think it was really necessary in my life to have that that same pattern in my life of consistent daily scripture study to kind of get me yeah. through a, another round of IVF. Yeah, and you're just so dialed into the spirit when you're doing when you're doing yeah. that much reading. You really are scripture reading. So, okay, so tell me what that next round of IVF was like. She wanted me to do birth control for a couple of weeks, same reason, suppress my own natural hormones, give us a good baseline, and then. This protocol was about six weeks of injection, six weeks of shots into my stomach. Mm -hmm. So the whole month longer of shots. And oh, so much. I just remember my belly being bruised and feeling like there was no end in sight for those shots, but um, all to help my body grow as many follicles and mature eggs as possible. And I trusted that she knew exactly what she was doing. And um, I ended up, Uh, going through the process of the month of shots. And then I started all my stimulation shots for the two weeks and or 12 days and um, went to all those ultrasound appointments. And I just was seeing better results at every appointment. It was so exciting. At the ultrasound before the egg retrieval, I had more follicles than I'd ever had. So I felt more optimistic going into this egg retrieval. And um, after the egg retrieval a couple of days later, they had uh, retrieved 17 eggs, which was so great. I mean, obviously I would have wanted like 400 if it were possible, but <laughs> that's not safe. So 17 felt great. It felt like a win. Yeah. Um, I think 
uh, day one, we had 12 of those eggs fertilized, which was a better fertilization rate. Um, I don't remember. Than the first time. Yes. than yeah. the first time. And at day three, I don't remember how many embryos or yeah, embryos we still had growing. I think it was like 10. And then by day five, we had six embryos that he was going to freeze and biopsy and send off to our geneticist. And that was that. So it was double the amount of embryos that we ended up with the time before. So that was exciting. Because if the same rule were to apply of about 50% come back from a geneticist as being normal, we were like, we are in the clear. We should have a good buffer here with six embryos. And we got the, we got the call a lot sooner this time around that we had three abnormal embryos and three normal embryos. So, I mean, it, it's sad when you find out some of your little embryo babies aren't, aren't going to work, but we had three that would. And it was, yeah. the biggest relief, the best day, oh, just all felt worth it. It all felt like it was supposed to, Mm -hmm. I guess. But, you know, it also reminded us that we weren't in the clear yet. I still wasn't pregnant. We still weren't, you know, in the clear. I didn't have a healthy, viable pregnancy. We still had a, a little ways to go before we could totally celebrate. Yeah. And that was an embryo transfer. Um. We did a frozen embryo transfer, obviously, and you have to go on birth control for a few weeks and then take progesterone shots and estrogen to get your body prepared for implantation. And that is a lot because like extra progesterone and estrogen. Yeah. (laughs) You just act like a crazy person, but the progesterone shot, it's a shot that's like thick as peanut butter. literally progesterone in sesame seed oil and you have to do it in your hip and you alternate each day what hip you do it in and it was miserable and we transferred one baby which was suggested to us by our fertility specialist because I went to premature labor with my son she didn't feel like my body could handle twins so that was the reason there had I had it my way I would have wanted to try for two just because better odds, you know? Right. But, um, she said just one. And so we transferred our baby on my birthday and that's the coolest thing ever because you get to see what your little baby starts out as. And it's like literally the tiniest little bubble on an Mm -hmm. ultrasound. And like, you wouldn't know to look for it unless there's an arrow pointing right at it. But um, it was a good day. It's a really good day. And then you have to do progesterone shots and wait 10 days to see if you're pregnant. I have zero patients. So I took a home pregnancy test about five days after our transfer. And I got a really faint positive and tested every day, multiple times a day until my mm-hmm. actual blood pregnancy draw. And the line kept getting darker. And I felt very encouraged by that got my blood test results back and I was good and pregnant and the highest HCG levels I had ever had. They had me do follow-up testing and they kept rising and everything looked great. We had a little bit of a scare at about seven weeks. I started spotting, which is very typical of my body as a first sign of a miscarriage. Yeah. Lost my mind and waited a couple of days until my ultrasound and we had a heartbeat. And I guess I had a subcryonic hemorrhage, which is just like a little bleed. Right. Where the, I actually had that with this pregnancy. I wondered, because so, you said yeah. you thought you might be miscarrying. And it's yeah. really common. It's just really scary. Right. Like, right. Thank you for that. This continual spotting for weeks, but um, they're very common. They're not typically threatening mm-hmm. to pregnancy. Mine wasn't, it wasn't large enough to be, you know, threatening to the baby or anything, but just enough to scare me for weeks and weeks and weeks, but <laughs> <laughs> just what you need. Yeah. You know, cause I'm not on pins and needles and anxious already, but you have to do, my doctor suggested I do up to 12 weeks of progesterone injections. So that is 96 shots 
in your bum every day for 12 weeks. Yeah, that's miserable. That was the most awful thing ever, but it's what needed to happen to get us our little baby girl. And yeah, the end of our IVF journey with this baby. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, so I want to ask you some questions Uh and thank you for sharing all of that with us and sharing that really tender journey. I know that, you know, there's so many emotions, even like thinking back about it. So, um, tell me, first of all, what people did that was helpful to you that when you felt most supported when you were going through all of these really hard ups and downs, I think people that weren't afraid to just talk to me and ask me how I was doing. And then it was up to me to tell them what I wanted to share and who were really open to listening that that made a huge impact. People that just did things without even asking, like dropped off dinner or a treat or flowers or a gift card for my favorite drink or whatever. Um, That was super meaningful because I think we've all been guilty of asking, is there anything I can do for you? not really knowing what there is you can do for someone. And if you're anything like me, you're going to say, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Thanks for checking on me. That's enough. But it was the people that just kind of yeah, proactively did stuff that really meant a lot to me. Um, that fourth miscarriage, I just had a friend say, I'm coming to get you. And she picked me up and we went back to her house and a few of our neighborhood friends were over there. And They just had my favorite cookies and drinks and treats. And they just said, you are not going through this alone. Um, I don't know why it makes me cry every time I talk about it, but it just felt really safe and secure. And um, I didn't feel so lonely, like getting that news and going through it on my own again. And it wasn't a pretty time to hang out with your friends at all, but I think we were just as crushed for me because they knew what I had been through and wanted it to work so badly for me that they were brokenhearted also. And yeah, I don't know. I think that was really incredible. I think sometimes you don't even know yourself. Like I don't even know what I need right now, but most of the time it's just someone to be there with you or maybe like a change of scenery or to eat your feelings or have the option to eat them. Should you choose it? And you know, (laughs) We're good at that. An audience, if you want Uh, it. Yeah. A shoulder, if you want it. I mean, those kinds of things, but. Well, that's just ministering. That's like really, you know, doing just like what Jesus would do is just being there for people. And so I'm so glad that you had those friends that were willing to just show up and be there. Um, Yeah. Is there anything that you feel like, I know we talked about how tough it is when you have friends and family who are having babies while you're struggling to have babies. Like, talk to me about that. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you feel was most appropriate or most helpful to you? I know that when, wasn't it you were visiting Andrea, your sister, when you got the news that your cycle had failed? Yeah. um, A couple of days later, we met up in Scotland with my family to go visit my sister and her husband and their new baby. And our babies were one of my pregnancies, our babies would have been about three weeks apart had they been born on their due dates. Mm-hmm. And it was a little tough for sure, getting such horrible news and then meeting this like brand new, beautiful little baby when I should have had a baby the same age, essentially. But um, it was just such a beautiful reminder that at the end of all the hard, because it's not like pregnancy is like this perfectly blissful, wonderful experience and not hard for everyone. Um, that at the end of it, there's a beautiful baby. And it was a really like tender, it was a tender mercy, I think, for us to be reminded that at the end of all of this, there is a baby. And that's usually my perspective when people tell me they're expecting or they're trying and they want to have a baby or they're ex- number of weeks along that's usually how I handle it and how I feel is oh I'm just so glad it's easy for some people because I am excited for them and wow it is a good reminder to know that like even after all the hard a baby can come and yeah the people that avoid me or would avoid me that made me feel really bad I think um 
if they're your close friends, I think you just expect open communication about like major things going on in your life. I feel like friends that I would know would have known wanted another baby or I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's very personal and like, you don't really want to share the news until you know the pregnancy is going to be a viable pregnancy. You know, that's, I respect that wholeheartedly, completely 100%. It's just people that maybe would have avoided me when I kind of probably suspected they were having a baby because I'm smart and I understand (laughs) the process pretty well by now Um, that maybe were a little bit hurtful, but I think I can't speak for everyone that's going through infertility or struggled to have a baby or lost pregnancies or how they feel. But I think most of the time I'm just so relieved and happy that it's happening for them. But I just would prefer the phone call and the open communication and the honesty from my friend that they're having a baby. I usually just want to celebrate with them. Yeah. I don't want you to be scared of me because it's good news. And I usually can be happy for people and maybe to extend a little bit of grace. If it isn't like entirely the reaction you wanted out of me, that just like respect that a little bit hard, but I'm always happy for you. And I think just extending a little bit of grace and letting me process it, how I need to process it is appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what I know that, um, with infant loss and with infertility and all of this that you guys have been through. And then even with, um, you know, Monroe's pregnancy wasn't perfect either. That was, has had its challenges too. Um, tell me about like the grief and what helped you the most when things didn't go the way that you planned. Yeah. Um, so a little backstory, my daughter was diagnosed with severe ventricular megaly and hydrocephalus at our anatomy scan. And doctors were encouraging us to terminate pregnancy. And had I not been diligent in my temple attendance, diligent in my scripture study, and had I not focused on establishing a very strong relationship with my husband of support and communication, I don't know how I would have ever gotten through that. And had I not built up an army around me of people that could support me when I didn't really know how to get through a lot of the stuff that we had to get through. Then I wouldn't have, I don't really know how that would have gone, would have gone very differently. But I think finding those people in your life that, you know, you can count on to tell them hard news is important and making sure that there are people that share the same beliefs as you so they can give you advice and, you know, understand a better or a bigger perspective when you kind of can't see past what's happening to you. That was really critical for us. We had been very open about my infertility journey and all of the procedures we were going through. So people had a very good understanding of kind of where things were at in our pregnancy. That was important for us because if you kind of secretively do this, I don't really think you get the support that you need, even if you don't know you need it. It's kind of important to share that with the people that you trust. That was a big one for us, but that makes sense. Making sure that we were really committed to, for us, the things that we felt were important from a gospel perspective and a religious standpoint. And that made a big impact and a big difference for the better. Like, you know, scripture study, prayer, family home evening, magnifying our callings. We just really tried to be as committed to the gospel as we possibly could. And I really do feel like because that we were significantly blessed. Yeah. Well, it was just always amazing to me to watch the strength that you guys had. And, um, and I think that that spiritual resiliency doesn't just come easily, you know, you have to work for it. So, um, that's always been something that's really been inspiring to me. So one last question. (laughs) So if there's a girl who's listening to this or a guy, and they're going through what you're, what you have gone through at any point, either in the beginning or the middle or close to the end, as far as getting a baby or whatever. What advice do you have for that person going through infertility or infant loss? For the people that are going through it and haven't yet started, my advice is to just start. There's no reason to wait. There's no reason to not march right into a fertility specialist and have them help you. They know more than you do. They have seen 
every issue under the sun and chances are there's a fix or a help for you. And if you don't succeed, try, try again, because Mm -hmm. had I not kept trying, we wouldn't have our baby girl. And, and even though she came with like her own set of unique circumstances and, and special needs, um, we still wouldn't have got her. How do I quit trying? Yeah. You're never going to get what you want. If you quit trying, that doesn't solve your problem. It might temporarily make you feel better to throw your hands up and say, I quit. I'm sure I did that a hundred times, but I never actually felt followed through with that. I always said I quit. And then the next day called my doctor. So I just think tenacity and having a little grit will get you really far in this process. And I know it's scary, but you don't need to be scared. There is nothing to be scared of because all these specialists can do is help you. They're only going to help you. They're only going to put your mind at ease that certain issues aren't issues, or they're going to point out the ones that are and give you a plan to fix them. Yeah. And um, if you try one doctor that isn't maybe a great fit or isn't, yeah. planning, right. What's your, <laughs> what's your suggestion there? Move on. Don't feel bad. You do not have, you don't owe them anything. You really don't. I mean, it is like someone that does your hair. (laughs) If they really (laughs) mess it up and you are not happy with it, I mean, give them the benefit of the doubt that like there is human error and that your body might not respond the way that it should to certain drugs that they expect you to respond to. But like, if in your gut, you do not feel good about it, move on, move on because there are incredible doctors out there that can help you. Yeah. I so agree with that. Well, I mean, I haven't been through exactly at all what you guys have been through, but just even really believing that there are such good doctors out there. There really are. If you, yeah, that, you know, you deserve to have someone that you just feel like is the best in the world for you. Yeah. So, okay. If there's one last message, maybe a message of hope or encouragement for, you know, that person struggling with this, what do you want that one message to be? There are a lot of women that are in this club with you. You're not alone. Open your mouth and I guarantee you within seconds, you will find a person who gets it and understands it. Maybe not like 100% of exactly the journey that you've been on, but enough that like you will get this support that you didn't even know you needed. I'm going to just give share a little experience. My ministering sister came over one day and she dropped off, I think, chocolate covered cinnamon bears. She's like, hi, I just wanted to know I was thinking of you. And I just lost it, like completely <laughs> fell apart. And she was looking at me like, I don't even know you that well, like what is going on here? But I knew that she had done IVF to get her little boy. Yeah. And I just shared with her that I'd been miscarrying, dot, 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 dot. She connected me to my fertility specialist. Oh, wow. And it was scary to like open my mouth and say the words that we were struggling with something, but the support she was to me through the entire journey and the connection that she made for our, with me for our doctor. I mean, it's just the biggest gift anyone could have given us. So don't be afraid to open your mouth. If you feel like you need to say something to someone, because chances are there's a person out there that understands and is the right person for you to talk to to help you move forward, have comfort, make a connection with a physician, something. I just really feel strongly that like God places people in your path that will help you on this journey. You do not have to do it alone. And it's the most lonely journey in the world. So don't make it harder. Don't make it more lonely. You don't need to. I love that. Well, where can people find you if they want to connect more and see more of your pictures and your stories? I know you've documented all of this so well. So I tried to document it on my Instagram profile. It became more of a journal for me throughout the process. And that would be the best place for them to find me. It's at Kendall Madsen. And yeah, reach out. If you need to talk to me, talk to me because we've been through some stuff. Yeah, I'll put, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes too so people can Perfect. find it easily. And um, thank you so much for sharing all of this of today. I sure love you. Love you too. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. 
And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast, and you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox, and we'll email you every time there's a new episode.